as a parent, we talk about blowouts, like where the diaper, where you, if your kid has explosive diarrhea and they're wearing a diaper, it like shoots up their back. So they have like racing stripes of, di- of like shit that goes up their back. Uh, that's like when you have a little baby. And so what I imagine is that the explosive diarrhea shoots out of his diaper so violently that it goes up his back and then it blows the hair off the front. Um, so like the hair is like all fucking blown out carrot, cot, carrot top style, Mm-mm-mm. cake with like diarrhea. A, like, a, like a troll of diarrhea. Yeah. And, and then death. Welcome to the Bituation Room podcast live stream once again here on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, I'm your host, Francesca Fiorentini. Happy New Year again. Uh, how's it been? How's how are the resolutions going? Yeah, are they good. Um, I didn't. I set intentions. Anyway, thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you for uh, tuning in on uh all the things on youtube if you're here uh if you're listening as a podcast give this podcast five stars if you're watching on twitch what's up uh so good to have you we have such a good show today um political strategist and founder of the black futures lab alicia garza is back on the program i want to get All of her thoughts on where to from here for the left. Um, What do we do now that uh, it's very clear that Joe Biden, not quite the guy we thought he, well, pretty much the guy we thought he was going to be. There was a moment there where we were like, maybe he won't be the guy, but he's probably going to be that centrist that he thought he was. Um, Also with me is comedian and labor organizer, Nato Green. Um, If you guys know, uh, (laughs) if you listen to the show, you know we should actually be in person right now. We should be at the San Francisco Sketch Fest. Um, We should be live. There should be people in the crowd. I feel them. I feel the lights. Uh, We'll be hanging out. We're we're having drinks afterwards, you know, because there is no such thing as the Omicron variant. And uh, instead, we're at home. Um, So... I couldn't obviously, um, I I couldn't go a week without doing a show and I'm so glad you guys are here, even though we're not live and, and the show, the live sketch fest show will happen in 2023. I was just told. So if you have tickets, I believe they're asking you to hold on to them and they'll be good in 2023 in San Francisco. And if you didn't get tickets, you, you've got plenty of time to get tickets for Sketchfest in 2023. And look, I think it's the same price, yo. So like inflation does not count. Um, but before we get into everything that's been going on this week, um, I wanted to let you guys know that uh, this show is 100% ad-free and 100% sponsored by you, the people, the Frantifa. Um, that is no small feat. And I am so thankful for everyone who's given to the show, who's a patron of this show. And as a patron, which you can become at patreon.com slash situation room. You not only get 15 to 20 minutes of bonus content every single week, we do a bonus story. Not only do you get access to that, but you get 20% off of all the merchandise at bituationroom.com, all the Frantifa swag. You get tw- automatically get 20% off of that. And if you're a patron at 20 bucks or more, 
per month. After three months, you get a free piece of merch. So you see how this works? You see how this pyramid scheme of love unfolds before your very eyes and supports small lefty podcasts like myself? Um. Anyway, so do that. And thank you, everyone who has joined. And hey, if you do not want to become a patron, I don't know why you wouldn't. But if you're more comfortable with things like Venmo or Cash App, TBR-Live on Venmo, TBR-Live on Cash App, tip this show. And last announcement. This is exciting. But last announcement is, even though we don't have a live show in San Francisco this week, there will be a live show in... Brooklyn, New York, people. We're going to Brooklyn. Me, Matt Lieb, and Mr. Sam Cedar of the Majority Report will be live in Brooklyn at the Bell House on March 10th. Tickets are almost on sale. Um, But here's the thing. I know it's a hard moment. I know a lot of cities are seeing a surge, and I hope and pray, and I am 75% sure that by March 10th, which is a Thursday, we will have this thing, as in the COVID thing, uh, fairly much on the downswing, fairly much. You see how descriptive and scientific that was? Well, so please mark that on your calendars. Get your asses to Brooklyn. We'll be masked. We'll be vaxxed. You should be boosted. And let's try to fucking have fun while we still can uh, and enjoy uh, some some live Frantifa action. Um, and with that, Let's get into this week, you guys. What are you bitching about? It's been a week. It's been quite a week. The first week of the of the of the new year. This is what are you bitching about? Okay, so here's what I'm bitching about. Very petty. Now, knowing what we know now about the virus and that it is 70 times more contagious now in the Omicron stage, which was however many more times contagious than the Delta variant, which is however many more times more contagious than the original strain. Aren't you guys a little bit like, yo, can I have my March 2020 back, please? Like, what was, like, like, hashtag no anti-vax, but like, or like, you know, COVID is real and all, but it was a lot less contagious back in 2020. And part of me is like, why did I do that many puzzles? You know, why couldn't I, I should have gathered more with people who I love, you know, but of course we didn't know anything about COVID. We still seem to not know anything about COVID. And so now when I really can't take another lockdown, not being able to see people, not being able to do stand-up comedy or feeling afraid that if I do stand-up comedy, I'm going to like kill my mom if I see her or like get somebody else sick or, you know, like just thinking of like immunocompromised people. Like it's such a, it's such a fucking back and forth. But now I'm like, man, I feel like the OG virus was like my time to shine. And I, maybe that was my window and that's closed. And I'm feeling petty about it. I'm feeling, I want to bitch about that. Because now it is way more contagious. And yeah, some cases are more mild, especially if you're vaccinated and boosted. But guess what? Like AOC just got the vaccine. I mean, just got the virus. Protect her at all costs. 
But guess what, guys? Deaths and hospitalizations, sadly, and as suspected, are going up. Yes, in places like New York, Chicago, uh, uh, and, I, and I can't remember where else, but the big cities, they're going up. We all were like, hey, maybe the maybe, maybe it's not going to impact it. No, it impacted it. It's going up. Anyway, that's what I'm bitching about. Uh, and with me for the hour to bitch and to bonus bitch for the patrons, a comedian, a union organizer who's got a series laughter against the machine that can be found on Means TV. His comedy albums, The Whiteness Album and The NATO Green Party are available on Bandcamp and everywhere. Please welcome Mr. NATO Green. <sighs> Uh, <laughs> First show with NATO in 2022. Hey, everybody. Happy New Year? Question mark? Big old question mark. How you doing? What are you bitching about, sir? Uh, well, here's what I'm bitching about is um, the, like, the challenge of being a hypochondriac slash Jew in this moment in history when... They're like, you know, they keep being like, well, if you're symptomatic, blah, blah, blah. If you show signs of, of you know, based on the uh, higher contagion rate, like if, you know, if you're symptomatic, you should get tested. You might, there might be signs of, uh, you know, you have to assume that it's positive. And so it's like, oh, if, you know, if, so then every time I cough, I'm like, oh, that's definitely it. You know, and so like, like, and then like, I'm in a place and I, you know, it goes down the wrong pipe and I start coughing and everyone is like, covid and they run away from me and i'm like no i'm i actually choking to death and i need help and they're like no you covid i'm running away from the coughing guy and like, yeah, can i have a heimlich not co-, you know and then like so that so the coughing and the sore i have a i've like i have a sore throat all the time i put i'm sure it's like psychosomatic i'm just like i'm worrying oh i i I, I, you know, and then I like read the things where it's like oh, the symptoms of COVID are, you know, coughing and sore throat and fever. And I'm like, oh, it seems warm right now. I don't know. It's I'm a little bit sweaty. Like, and then, oh, and one of the signs of COVID is like, you know, ashy shins. Uh, so <laughs> like, I, I definitely, I definitely, oh, one of the signs of COVID is snoring. You know, it's like, oh, I definitely have like, it, they're just get like, it's so wired uh-huh. into my anxiety. And I don't know how to like, just mentally, like without, you know, stip- sticking something up my nose to test every 15 minutes. I don't know how to like. Don't you assess. wish it were like the chicken pox, you know, like this is the moment where you're like, yeah, maybe I should just get it. But it's then your antibodies are only good for another couple weeks. Right. Right. And not even as good as, you know, getting more, getting another booster. I, I just. Ever since the CDC took its hands off the wheels, I'm like, well, then now I'm. Now I'm frightened. Now I don't know what the fuck is going on. Now I don't know how to live my life, really. I need Rochelle Walensky to tell me things. Um, yeah, I mean, poorly. you know, it well, it's like the uh, th- there's some metaphor that I'm that I'm struggling to like uh, find, but that that it that as it as it evolves into new variants, the fact that like the fact that we're all like living on infectious disease Twitter now, do you know what I mean? That like the biggest influencers are, uh, you know, are epidemiologists <laughs> and like fucking biostatisticians. It's what has happened to our society. That's those are the cool people on Twitter now. And then there's like Twitter beefs. Like there was this doctor in San Francisco that like got super popular on Twitter and people turned on her and she was like, she's bad. And she, you know, then there's like factions of, 
witch doctor at the University of California, San Francisco Med Center, like people are aligning themselves with, like it's the fucking like variations of like, you know, like Methodists and Lutherans and Episcopalians and these like, you know, from Pagan. the outside, they all, yeah, pagans, they all just love it. They're like, they all look the same. But from the inside, you know, so we're getting hung in the words of trying to parse these tweets from doctors where we don't really understand what they're saying. Uh, but it seems like it gets more infectious and less dangerous as it evolves. Yes. So it seems like, you know, like in another three months, like, like we're in the Omicron wave, but then the next wave it is just going to be like, we're all going to have it at the same time. And it's going to be, we're all going to have it at like at the, at the exact same minute we're going to get it. And then we're going to lose it. But while we have it, we're just like going to have to pee really bad. That's yeah. going to be the only symptom. And then we're done. Yeah. I'm expecting that's, it to be like, yeah, my left that's what the side is going to hurt and I'll be like, cool. And then like, I'm like, like I'm not thirsty for a day, like something really yeah. bizarre or like my teeth are whiter, you know, I'm waiting <laughs> for it to be just, yeah, that's, that's the kind of COVID I want. I want the very highly evolved, less deadly COVID. Um, anyway, that being said, uh, we need and some I, of those influencers I, on the show soon. I keep, uh, we can probably figure that out. I keep reading about this stuff about how like after the bubonic plague, when like huge portions of the population of Europe, died that like the black death is partially responsible for the renaissance you know and like rising income <laughs> levels in europe comedy now nato because... you gotta stick with it <laughs> i don't know if the audience of the habituation room knows this but as a comedian literally every single time before i walk out on stage the last thing my, my pre-show mantra is maybe tonight is the night i quit comedy every single time <laughs> That's the way a lot of comics are, and then they do well on stage, and they crush, and then they're like, okay, I like it again, I guess. Um, we got to get into this week, though. We've got, uh, and we have to get Alicia Garza into the convo, but so much happened in this first week. Um, this was a week where former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo says that he lost 90 pounds, um, making him fit enough to fight his own war in Iran. Uh, of course, Trump must be pleased to know that this now means he is no longer the biggest loser of his administration. <laughs> uh, Eric Adams began his first week as mayor of New York, and he began it by calling cooks unskilled workers, calling for more cops in the subway, and appointing his brother as deputy police commissioner. But he's vegan. Come on, guys. Plant-based plant-based corruption. Uh, Ahmad Arbery's killers were convicted and sentenced to life in prison without parole, which is great. Now do the cops. Um, trailblazing black actor Sidney Poitier passed away at the age of 94. He was the first black actor to get into, into a fight with a white person on screen, first black actor to kiss a, wom a white woman on screen, and was the first black actor to win an Oscar and the last one to do so in the following 40 years. But please tell me more about liberal Hollywood. And 34-year-old Senator John Ossoff is introducing legislation that would ban Congress people and their families from trading stocks while in office, throwing shade on Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, who probably both regrets saying it was perfectly fine to trade stocks and saying that she would let John Ossoff whip her vote. You know what I mean? Oh, yes. Just take me and my Hermes scarf, Mr. Ossoff. I hate you now. For everything else, this is the week where.
This was the week where the U.S. marked a year since radicalized Facebook boomers stormed the Capitol in Amazon bought tactical gear on January 6th, the closest the U.S. has ever been to a coup that it wasn't directly involved in. Uh, well, at least most of the country uh, wasn't involved in it. Um, both President Biden and Attorney General Merrick Garland spoke out publicly condemning the January 6th insurrection, vowing to continue to bring those involved to justice. Uh, again, about 700 rubes have been arrested thus far and are taking a fun field trip uh, into the heart of the prison industrial complex. It's uh, They're learning a lot. Uh, baloney is terrible in there, apparently. Um, and all while the January 6th commission in the House continues to investigate the role of lawmakers and Trump officials and Trump himself. Still, some people like Brennan Center's Michael German say that it's actually the arrests that have been made haven't been enough high level people. They've been low level folks. And a lot of the folks who've committed the worst acts of violence aren't the ones being arrested. And here's what he had to say on PBS. Please don't take this down. Law enforcement has cast a wide net, charging more than 700 rioters, including dozens from right-wing groups, the Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, and Three Percenters. But the majority of those are not for violent acts such as assault. The Justice Department's efforts seem to front-load uh, people who were involved in the least egregious conduct. There were hundreds, if not thousands, of people engaging in violence against police officers that should have been the primary focus because many of those people still have yet to be charged and are out in the community, still able to organize, still able to attend events. This year, across multiple states, Proud Boys have attended school board meetings to back those opposed to COVID measures and critical race theory or CRT. Anytime that there is a contentious issue, such as the mask mandate or CRT in our schools or forced vaccinations of our children, you're going to see more Proud Boys. That man does not have children. Um, NATO, reflections, thoughts on this one year later. Um, and also, have you encountered Proud Boys in your school board meetings? Uh, no, no, we don't have, I mean, Proud Boys don't come to to our school board meetings. We get like the, the like the genteel version of it, of, <laughs> of like, the you know of like people who are who like have a you know like believe science window sign like black lives matter window sign and then they're like definitely keep schools open no matter what even if everyone is dead um, we got those people at the school teachers board. are greedy yeah these uppity bitches teaching third grade with 40 students uh <laughs> while they're having like like while they're literally on a respirator trying to teach subtraction um uh, you know that's like that's what that's what we have uh but so uh, here you have these folks out i mean like it's true like 700 people sounds like a lot but every time you look back at footage on january 6th you're like there are tens of thousands of people storming the capitol right now like i don't well, think you're getting them all it, i mean and you you know and like and the whole thing was sort of clearly like what has come out is that there was you know some level of coordination with like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and like uh, you know that there that there were people in congress and in the senate uh, uh, you know of of sitting republican legislators who were actively encouraging and attempting to coordinate it to thwart the election and so i mean in some ways it's like the most uh uh you know the the thinking about it on the one year anniversary like what's striking is the degree to which so many like liberals and progressives have just like 
resign themselves to like, yes, this was, you know, this was the rehearsal and then they're going to figure it out better next time (laughs) and they'll do a voter suppression and we're, you know, we're, we're not going to have democracy again in the United States. Uh, We'll have sham elections and it's going to be fine. Um, There is a fatalism among, I think a lot of like pundits, which like, I always hate, I hate that kind of shit. Like, I hate that. I mean, and I think you as an organizer too, and as an optimist, despite what, uh, what people might think of you, um, (laughs) is despite being perpetual Eeyore, you, you are an optimist and it's like, it is so awful to think, yeah, yeah. Next time they are just going to, you know, they'll do it, but in suits. Um, and everyone's just kind of, oh, not okay with that, but, but spelling that out and we're all we're doing it very eyes wide open i mean and this is like when trump got elected i think everyone also was like oh how long before they're going to be mobs running up at the capitol like how long before this violence is coming home to roost and that's why i don't know the day of i felt so much like chickens coming home to roost and i was glad that instead of these Oath Keepers, Three Percenters, all these militias taking it out on black activists, on immigrant act, on people on the streets that, that, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Go take it to the Capitol. Go take it to the lawmakers who've been ignoring your very presence and your very violence. It almost felt fitting. It was very fitting, actually. Um, So the way that I've been I've been attempting to cope with this uh, emotionally is like. I spent a fair amount of time uh, like imagining um, like, like how Trump should die. Um, (laughs) And, and I mean, I was like, like, that's like my favorite game. Like, so I, like I spent a while fantasizing that he like was sort of like mysteriously deported into like an international prison, like the Mm. pit that, that, Bruce Wayne is in, in, in the dark Knight rises where it's like in another country and, you know, and then it's like, like a, like a bandaged old doctor who's like jump Donald Trump and he can't jump out. <laughs> um, like, and then I was like, no, no, no. Cause then that'll like support the proud boy and the, and the oath keepers like, conspiracy yeah, that's theories. the origin story they want. Yeah. Yeah. So then I was like, no, my fantasy is uh, because he needs to be like, like, you know, humiliated and then die. Like, like, but yes. all at once. And yes. so here's my, my fan. Here's what I've been thinking about is my fantasy is that, and I hope I don't get like, they're going to hear this. They're going to find it. And then I'm going to get murdered and it'll be too bad. But the, my fantasy is that like, he, he's giving a press conference at Mar-a-Lago and he gets like violent diarrhea. So that's yes. so explosive that it blows out the back of his like men's warehouse, ill-fitting slacks. And then his heart explodes. Um, yes. No, so- the explosive diarrhea has to be combined. I've talked about this before. Kate Elston, who was a producer on Newsbroke, we talked about it before. The explosive diarrhea has to shoot out of the diaper that he swears he never wears. And then it's like a combo. But yes, his heart explodes from it the shame. It has to, like, but- like, as a parent, we talk about blowouts, like where the diaper, where you, if your kid has explosive diarrhea and they're wearing a diaper, it like shoots up their back. So they have like racing stripes of, di- of like shit that goes up their back. Uh, that's like when you have a little baby. And so what I imagine is that the explosive diarrhea shoots out of his diaper so violently that it goes up his back and then it blows the hair off the front. Um, so like the hair is like all fucking blown out carrot, cot, carrot top style, mm-hmm. cake with like diarrhea. A, like, a, like a troll of diarrhea. Yeah. And, and then death. I love that. Um, but let's talk about <laughs> what's actually been done. 
So one of the biggest things coming out of January 6th was like, what is Biden going to do? You know, how is he going to take like far right extremist violence seriously? Some call it terrorism. Some uh, some do not. I don't want to get into those semantics right now, but it looks like he has taken some steps. And then we can talk about the impact of those steps. So one of the things um, is that the Homeland Security Department has begun a review of how it handles domestic extremism. Oh, yeah, you should. So for the first time this year, the department is designating domestic extremism as, quote, a national priority area, requiring that seven and a half percent of the billions in grant funds be spent on combating it, which feels low considering the attack. Obviously, this is in um, in direct contrast to his predecessor, Trump, who, like, if you mentioned you know, any kind of militias, you'd be fired. But um, Biden has bolstered a team focusing on domestic extremism at the NC, uh, NSC and is, that has been depleted in the past four years under Trump, assigning officials from the Justice Department, the FBI and the National Counterterrorism Center uh, to that team. This is in contrast to the approaches of Trump and Obama. In 2009, the Obama administration rescinded an intelligence assessment after it mentioned that veterans could be vulnerable to recruitment by domestic extremist groups, promote prompting political backlash, not enough political backlash. But this was something that in in the work that, you know, in some of the research that I did earlier for an old Newsburg piece a while ago, but it was like Obama thought it would be too divisive to look into the military, you know, and, and, you know, people like Ashley Babbitt, one of the the only people shot and killed uh, by law enforcement that day. She was a 14 year uh, 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 Air Force veteran, which is insane. Right. Um, so this is it has been rife. And there have been whistleblower after whistleblower to talk about in the police force, in the armed services, the amount of extremism that exists. Maybe finally we're getting serious about that extremism. Um, a, a lot of that, I mean, a lot of that military legacy goes back like way into the early days of the Iraq war where like there was, uh, there was this program, they called them moral waivers. That was the term, um, under Bush, mm-hmm. uh, because so under, you know, until Obama repealed, don't ask, don't tell it was, you could en- enlist in the military if you were a active white supremacist, but not if you were gay. Um, and so like. Lo and behold, so they were like, you know, because there was this troop depletion between the Afghanistan war and the Iraq war, and they had to figure out how to keep recruiting people, and they didn't want to reinstate the draft, the way that they dealt with that was through moral waivers by making it easier to to recruit criminals and white supremacists. Uh, (laughs) I have, hey, um, teacher, this is my moral waiver. Like, like I do not have to have a heart. In Uh, fact, it's probably better if I want to... Uh, oppress uh, people in foreign nations if I don't have a heart and the military is like, hell yeah. If I want to go do a, do some war crimes. Yeah, you're not going to want me to have a moral in this situation. Uh, I don't know why I said teacher. It's definitely Sarge. But like, it's very funny to have like a get out of morality free card. Like, oh, I am a raging racist. I believe in a white ethno state. Anyway, uh, ooh, you should know that about me. Also, uh, I have a bunion. So... Uh-huh. <laughs> They're like, nope, the bunion prohibits you from serving in this war. I'm sorry, soldier. <laughs> um, now, I think there's, you know, I don't know how you take this, NATO, but there was a lot of, there's been outcry and and rightful criticism of the idea that we're going to go after white 
far right extremism in the same way that we went after, you know, Muslim extremism, because, well, first of all, that shit didn't work. Number one, locking up however many innocent people surveilling entire communities, but also like you guys are the ones doing it. How can the FBI, which is cropped up and its entire purpose has been to undermine like, you know, democratic movements from Martin Luther King uh, to the Black Panthers, generally movements led by black people. Like, how are you going to suddenly turn a racist institution on itself when you know you've got extremists within your ranks, within police departments, within the military? Like, you're, you got to remake that shit from the ground up. It, it, it reminds at the end of the year, Obama, like, tweets out his list of books and movies and that he and albums that he liked that year and one of his favorite movies of the year was Judas and the Black Messiah mm-hmm. and and I was like yeah but he was rooting for the FBI agent um you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's i mean i mean that is interesting because i didn't know that you know obama probably trying to you know pacify the right who ironically was only further radicalized by his very presidency you know, defunded a lot of those areas of of the security state in terms of not going after far right extremism, anti-government extremism. I do want to say, though, that those criticisms of Biden's like, you know, re-upping of, you know, uh, domestic extremism and the fear that that would fall on the backs of of people on the left have actually borne out to some extent. So um, right after January 6th, guess who passed? an anti-protest law or got that ram through, it was Governor DeSantis of Florida. So I didn't remember this, but Governor DeSantis condemned the actions of Donald Trump supporters um, and said, quote, it was totally unacceptable and those folks need to be held accountable. And it doesn't matter what banner you're flying under. The violence is wrong and the rioting and the disorder is wrong. That's what he said about January 6th. Well, later on that year, he passed his... uh, anti-protest legislation called the Combating Public Disorder Legislation, which, when it was originally introduced, did not have a lot of traction after January 6th. Got it. Got it passed. It targets protesters who damage personal and business property or assault law enforcement. Violators could face felony battery charges if they commit burglary during a riot. Okay, that, that seems maybe that's acceptable. But further down, The bill also says a person cannot intentionally obstruct free, convenient or normal use of the public street, highway or road by impeding, hindering, stifling, retarding or restraining traffic or passage thereon. Basically, you can't protest on a street ever. And like we are going to elevate those to what a felony charge if you are arrested. So, again, this is criminalizing dissent, criminalizing protesters. And we know that that bill, he, he, they introduced that bill in the wake of the George Floyd protests of 2020. So, uh, you know, French, the, the, as a union, the, this is how my organizer brain reacts to that is I, and I start looking for the loopholes because uh, like, you know, the history of, of unions picketing is that there were injunctions that said, you can't block the factory gates. And then mm-hmm. unions were like, but what if we walk in a circle? Uh, <laughs> right, right. And so I look at that and I'm like, aha, it says the person cannot do that. What if I bring horses? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> what if I light couches on fire and then leave? 
Uh huh. I think horses actually would work. Hell yeah. I say, I mean, I'm not really a friend of the horse. Like they scare me, but uh, I'd become one. Just to, I think every protest should be encircled in horses, but it usually is. But they're always they're always Come working on. for the cops. They're working we, for the we, wrong we, side. We saw. Sorry to bother you. We know the power of horses. <laughs> oh God. The you, I'm not going to say it, but it was. I am going to say it. The weirdest turn the weirdest turn of a film i don't think i ever predicted um nato green was also in sorry to bother you um no big deal last thing i'm gonna say please rent it because i need those three (laughs) dollars in residuals from every time you rent it (laughs) last thing i'm gonna say there has been so some follow-up not only was there this desantis law but eight 88 anti-protest bills have been introduced around the country since the capitol riot you think those things are targeting white supremacists and, and militias? I don't know. 33 of them were introduced in January 2021 alone. Um, 11 of them post-January 6th laws have been enacted, giving authorities wide latitude to prohibit or punish protesters and sometimes even providing legal protection to motorists who mow them down, which is insane. Motorists who mow them down, those have always been like far-right extremists, right? Um, and in fact, this is a it happened in Florida. Um, authorities in Florida prosecuted an anarchist and Black Lives Matter protester, Daniel Baker, purely over speech and social media posts, sentencing him to nearly three years in prison, roughly the same punishment as one Capitol rioter got, rioter got for punching an officer. So, yes, in principle, it is good to have more oversight, in my opinion. There wasn't even cross-coordination between some of these agencies as to the rise of these extremist groups. But on a local level, we can see that they're being implemented and potentially going to harm activists and folks on the left and Black Lives Matter organizers more so than they ever will touch, I don't know, armed white militias. Um, Anyway, we got to move on to our second story. Um, I'm very curious as to what the uh, the dad in the room has to say about this. But this oh, was me? the week. Uh, no, I'm talking about He-Man. He's over on the wall over there. Oh, right, right. He's, he's right there. Beep. This was the week. That's a real dad. This was the week where Chicago teacher. <laughs> okay, starting again. This is the week where the Chicago Teachers Union once again flexed some power. Uh, as in the face of a COVID surge in cases and a lack of safety measures in the school district, they voted to move to remote learning. They're currently asking for universal testing for students, which they do, they do not have right now, or weeks allowing them for them to transition to remote learning once again. However, the school district of Chicago has responded by canceling their classes, and Mayor Lori Lightfoot apparently has locked teachers out of their own virtual classrooms, so they are not able to go to remote teaching. Uh, Lori Lightfoot says, quote, what teachers, what the teachers union did was an illegal walkout. They abandoned their posts and they abandoned kids and families. Uh, She said on meet the press, we are working diligently every single day at the bargaining table to narrow the differences and get a deal done. Okay. Um, The teachers, however, um, are disputing issues, including testing and metrics to close schools They want the option to revert to district-wide remote instruction, and they're refusing to teach in person until there's an agreement. Um, This was as of Sunday, so I'm sure this is going to develop quickly. 
They the district apparently says that oh no they've got they've got new um, ventilation systems on the way. Um, they they have some money invested. Uh, like like basically it's coming. Don't worry, it's coming. But here's what one parent is saying about that money that is coming into the school district and whether or not teachers and students are seeing that money. Um, I would feel better if they would just do more testing. I don't know why um, we're the third largest school district in the country. L.A. is the second largest district, and they are doing weekly testing. CPS was given $2 billion in COVID funds. We as parents want to know where's that money at because the testing has been selective. Like everybody should be universally tested, the teachers, the students, um, on a weekly basis um, to track what's going on with COVID. So that was one parent um, of a of a Chicago student. Um, before I get NATO you to weigh in, I just want to clarify: there's there's about a twelve percent vaccination rate for uh, students under eleven in Chicago. High schools are between 10% and 83%. The average uh, at majority black high schools in Chicago are about 28% vaccinated. And once again, Chicago is one of those cities that's seeing this rise in in COVID cases and in hospitalizations and, yes, in deaths. Uh, and we're, we'll see what the next couple of weeks ha- hold. But, like, what is... What is this like? Everyone's sort of like, it's the teacher's fault. It's not the teacher's fault. We should go back to school. We shouldn't go back to school. We're back in the thick of it, NATO. And it doesn't feel like there's a lot of leadership, at least coming, definitely not from the Biden administration. Yeah, I mean, well, and we're seeing it at every level. And I mean, I think there's a couple of things happening. And, you know, my kids are in eighth grade. I have twins in eighth grade in San Francisco public schools. And, uh, and it's a shit show in San Francisco also. And here's the thing uh, that people don't understand in this debate. Uh, and it's, it's pretty nuanced. And so stay with me, Francesca. <laughs> that mm. Everyone is fucking That's the problem. So like, <laughs> say that not, again, because the internet gods tried to censor you. Everyone is fucking sick right now. Like that's the issue is that like with, you know, that they're talking about the COVID case case numbers are on a vertical incline yeah. uh, as they're spiking and the protocol is for its five days of isolation or whatever like the protocol is if you test positive stay home and yeah. so like there's it's not just that like people want to be tested just to be tested or HEPA filters or whatever there's there was like we saw this coming people were raising concerns in the public schools across the country saying like what is the plan to te- to try to you know how are we going to provide distance learning options for people who are testing positive and but are asymptomatic so that they don't come to school and infect everybody else and right. and for teachers who are testing positive what's the plan for that how are we going to absorb that how are we going to test people who re- are returning from travel before we send them back into the classroom and the district like didn't have a plan for that and it's not just like it's not a sick out particularly it's that people are fucking sick <laughs> they're literally sick mhm uh, and then they're staying home, and and then this, and then the system is crumbling. The other thing that's happening is that, like as always, there's a you know these fucking opportunists are exploiting this moment because overwhelmingly the it's it's teachers unions that drive strikes in the United States. Like mm-hmm. like if you look at the numbers of strikes over the last three or four years, overwhelmingly it's been in schools. And so uh, so like I just feel like there's 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 the sort of Neil consensus is that 
Petrosians as the kind of like vanguard of popular resistance. Yeah. Uh, and that has nothing to do with like what the issue is about. Yeah. I mean, and especially because like even last year, which the, everyone was like saying the year of the worker strike Tober, we weren't even talking about teachers, you know, like teachers weren't even flexing their muscle to the full extent last year, but we may see that. So you're totally right that like they're trying folks like Lori Lightfoot, other officials are like, we need to make sure to stave this off. But at the same time, wouldn't you think in order to stave it off, you just give them what they want? Like, don't lock them out of their goddamn schools. You're afraid of them going on strike, like a real strike. This ain't a strike. This is a complaint. This is a vote. This is a we can do better. It right. is not and a strike yet. It, it, yeah. I mean, and like, like, like we're seeing it. Yeah. It's just that there's that the guidance is shifting, like, you know, about. There's the, you know, the CDC has a set of standards and the state department of public health has standards and then local department of public health sta has standards. And then there's like a disconnect between the local government and the school district, you know, and this like, and right. the school district is not nimble, let's say as an institution. <laughs> uh, and, you know, but then like a lot of it is, you know, these, I mean, these school boards, God bless them, but they're all volunteers. So like yeah. the, the elected governing body are these like, random ass volunteers who sit in hearings for five hours at a time and then go home and on some level don't have really that much control over like the bureaucrats who really run the district. And yet somehow in school boards and districts across the country, like parents are more incensed about critical race theory or what they imagine to be than COVID. Like, Look, I think I, I think no one should be a busybody and like, you know, oftentimes we have liberal Karens too, but like go to your school board and complain. I think that's a perfectly legitimate thing to do. Like I think that's good, especially when all the bad parents are the ones complaining. Um anyway, uh we will obviously continue to watch this. Um meanwhile, my brother who teaches at a public school, it's like all the windows are open, the filters on, everyone's got their jackets and is just like, uh, <laughs> like, like trying to learn, you know, geometry um in the cold. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was like I actually this week I was in New York and I was talking to a friend of mine who is 15 and 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 uh has to has to eat lunch at 8:30 in the morning because they're cycling students through the cafeteria because there's no outdoor place for them to eat lunch. And yeah. so they have to do social distancing. Oh so God. they have people have lunch at ridiculous times because they have no other way to like, it's all oh bad. Oh my God. Um, shout out to all the teachers and educators out there with that. Before I bring in our guest, I do want to just say that we're going to do a final segment, a new segment called the cringies. It's the, it's an award. Uh, the first award ceremony of the Bituation Room, the Cringies, and I hope Alicia Garza will stay on for it. Uh, Alicia, by the way, is an author, political strategist, and organizer who founded the Black Futures Lab to make Black communities powerful in politics. She's also the co-creator of hashtag Black Lives Matter and the Black Lives Matter Global Network, co-founder of Supermajority, a new home for women's activism, and strategy and partnerships director for the National Domestic Workers United uh, Workers Alliance. And of course, if you guys don't have her book, The Purpose of Power, How We Come Together When We Fall Apart, you should get it, read it, and listen to her podcast, Lady Don't Take No. She's so booked and busy. Please welcome Alicia Garza to the show. Hi. Hi. Yo, what up? So, Good to have you here. what is the purpose of power? 
Is it to, to get, just get up like a parking place? What is the purpose? NATO is going full throttle very, very quickly. Um, this is how we're starting things. This is good. Well, first of all, it's good to be here with y'all. Um, second of all, what the fuck is going on with Lori Lightfoot? Third of all, the purpose of power is to get rid of fucking people like that and put people in positions of decision making that will move our collective agenda forward. That's the only way that we're able to do it. And if we don't build the power we need, we're going to keep going around in these fucking circles, stressed out about people making not only bad decisions, but also having bad plans that are not just annoying, but they're actually deadly. So that's the purpose. I like it. I I do. I mean, yeah, it is. It's the idea that, like, uh, we have to pay attention. Who the hell is representing us? Who's running us? Who's on the school board meetings? How the fuck are there proud boys in these meetings and no one's saying shit, you know? Um, and, like, they're in cahoots with law enforcement. I do, you know, it's it's a year after January 6th, Alicia, and, and I just want your thoughts on, you know, what have we learned anything? Where do we go from here? And And maybe just, like, general reflections on on this this one year anniversary shit versary <laughs> well what do you get one for this anniversary right like if your first if your first wedding anniversary you're supposed to get like paper you know your 15th you're supposed to get like diamonds like what do you what what do you get for this right like what do you uh-huh. get when you give i mean look it's it's bizarre that we are a year out and you know, honestly, there's been very little consequences for insurrectionists who literally tried to overthrow the government through a violent coup. Um, This, of course, came on the heels of an incredible victory in Georgia, uh, where we, you know, pushed forward uh, the first Black person to represent Georgia in the Senate since Reconstruction, uh, and also put forward two very progressive uh, uh, lawmakers and legislators. So, you know, the, 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 the insurrection, as if you will, um, was really a reaction and a response to um, the power that was being wielded by the majority in this country to try to put us on a different path and mm. move us in a different direction. And I think in a lot of ways that gets lost, um, especially in the kind of pomp and circumstance of, of um, half-ass remembering, right, what happened and how we got there. And, you know, I was reflecting the other day that, you know, and this came up again for me, actually, when you were talking about uh, this this law, this protest law in Florida, mm-hmm. uh, where somebody's getting three years in prison for posting something on social media. Um, and meanwhile, people who, you know, broke into Nancy Pelosi's office, sat in her chair, kicked back, put their feet up and stole some shit from her office and then did TV interviews about it, right? Face zero consequences. I mean, there are black people in jail for weed that have spent longer in jail than any of these insurrectionists will almost collectively, right? So um, that's, that's something for us to really pay attention to. And at the same time, I I think that we have to keep paying attention to the way in which amnesia powers this country. Mm -hmm. Um, If we're really good about sinking into the the whys of how we got here and taking the lessons and integrating them, we'd be living in a completely different country right now. Um, And and we don't do that. And we don't do it on purpose. Uh, So I, I think it's important for us 
not just to kind of look back, but to stand still and say, hey, what the fuck just happened here? And why did it happen? We don't talk about the fact, and we've actually not had any more conversation about those pipe bombs that were found uh, at the DNC, right? Like that was also a a, a violent attack, um, most likely, right, by um, the, the, the growing extremist conservative movement in this country. So as long as we don't talk about it, as long as there are no consequences for people's actions, as long as we're focused on pomp, circumstance, procedure, and bureaucracy, as opposed to outcomes, um, we're going to continue to see these kinds of attacks happen. And I can tell you, Francesca and NATO, um, because the infrastructure has been weakened um, so much uh, by the former president, right, but also by just complete idiocy, Um, It's likely that there will be more of these attacks and it's likely that they will hurt more and more people. Um, And so this is something for us to really pay attention to going into 2022, but certainly going into 2024, where we have another uh, rematch as it relates to uh, the president of the United States. I I wonder, like, you know, we, we know people in our circle, you and I both know, who are like accelerationists who think that like <laughs> things getting really <laughs> fucked up is somehow radicalizing for people. Yeah, it's um, amazing. 800,000 people have died. It's amazing. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> you so, know what I mean? Anyways. Yeah. So, I mean, I just, I like, I, I sort of, you know, I wonder how, how you sort of think about, like, in, in your theory of change, how you, how you incorporate sort of, like, the, the, the idea of crisis and, like, instability in the system that is not of our making and mm-hmm. how, how we respond to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, first and foremost, there, there is a core difference between crises that are of our making <laughs> um, and crises that are not of our making and how we approach it. And accelerationism is a very dangerous tendency in our movement. And it's this notion, right, that things will get so bad, right, that people will suddenly spontaneously wake up and decide to take action and not just action, but the right action. Um, And that is completely (laughs) historical, right? That just has not happened. Um, And actually where the power is, right, is um, being prepared to step into the chaos of crisis and lead. Um, And in order to do that, right, we have to really be focused on um, what are the alternatives that we're trying to build? And Mm -hmm. if there are opportunities to bring those alternatives to bear, um, how do we become the leading force in doing that? Um, So that's one piece of it. But then as an organizer, NATO, you and I both know that um, sometimes there are crises that we want to create, right? Um, because it helps people um, understand, right, why things are happening the way that they're happening, who's responsible, um, and it forces people to take a side. Um mm. And in that case, I think, you know, similar uh, uh, conditions apply. Um, You don't just create crisis to create crisis. Um, You create crisis for people to be able to make a decision about where they stand, but you also have to have a net that catches them and puts them into some kind of um, vehicle that allows them to take action um, and to and to increase their leadership in in the process of taking action. So I I, I worry a lot, right? That um, that we don't have a sober assessment of power and how we build it and how much we've built thus far, where we are actually powerful and where we have a lot of work to do. And that's really why I wrote this book. 
Um, this book was intended to get us to think about, right? Um, how we think change happens, who we think needs to be a part of change, and how we might sharpen or refine our own practice to be better change makers and change agents. I want to just say that briefly, when it comes to um, galvanizing moments and like bringing new people into the fold and like, you know, I'm, I'm like, I have been reading Nelson Mandela's uh, autobiography for a long time, but like, I'm really getting, I'm making some headway now. It's long. It's so That's good. Great. Long walk yeah. to freedom. But you know, he talks about long, like how long the read aliens, to freedom. Yeah, yeah. More like long read. My God. Um, you know, he's he talks about like how the ANC, once they started doing actions, their numbers and ranks grew like exponentially. And I feel like we're in this a moment where, you know, and and although it has not been organized um, and it's much been, been much more at the grassroots level, but you have Black Matter, Black Lives Matter organizers and organizing and the more and more that that is taken um Street actions, you know, I think that folks have come into that fold and have felt, you know, and are excited by that, you know, whether or not they become organizers or they are funneled into an organization that's different. But then I look at January 6th, I'm like, yeah, they're doing actions too. Like they are recruiting off of these actions. And I know a lot of us are thinking, well, no, no, maybe they learned their lesson. Now they're getting locked up. Mm, I think they got way farther than anyone would have imagined they could have gotten. And they are recruiting off of these kinds of actions. So I am also aware of the way the right is taking these lessons of like, hey, do bigger actions, get more play, get more press, bring people into your fold, grow your ranks. And it frightens me. Um, scary. I mean, and they're also doing an incredible job, right, of finding people who are looking for answers, as to why their lives are not what they want it to be. And they're giving them answers. And then they're giving them ways to take action around those answers. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. Like when I watched all of this unfold, I was still on a high from uh, the day before, right? The the two days prior was my yes. 40th birthday, which I spent in quarantine. And then the following day, right, was uh, January 5th when we had those momentous victories. And January 6th, I was still kind of cruising and I was getting text messages about go turn on the TV. White people are turning up at the Capitol. <laughs> I'm thinking it's like, you know, the rights version of like a move on protest. But what I saw was actually shocking. And it wasn't that they were turning up that was shocking. It was the delayed response of everybody yeah. else. Right. Yeah. Um, thinking that they were going to be safe in there, um, thinking that it was just a rally. Um, even though apparently we've come to find out, right, that there were warnings uh, uh, leading all the way up into this moment, that there were Congress people who were involved in, uh, you know, helping to plan it, helping to scope mm -hmm. out the Capitol, helping to let people know where things were. I watched an interview last week with um, Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal and uh, uh, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, and they were, you know, talking about kind of being in the chambers, right? And thinking um, that, you know, that was the safest place for them to be. Nobody seemed to understand that it wasn't just Donald Trump being a fucking maniac, that actually yeah. part of his, um, part of his danger is that he had built this um, frenetic, um, frenzied, and really angry movement that yeah. um, 
going to blow at any second. And that had been building for years. Right. And the response to it always was, well, we just have to get, we just have to get him out and then everything's going to go back to normal. No, actually we got him out and they tried to overturn the government. Like, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. we are not playing games. And that was actually a, um, a culmination of what this movement does really well, which is they get people amped up. They're giving people answers for why things are the way that they are. And then when they put out an action call, people are ready at a moment's notice because they have already been inoculated and inundated, right? With We know it's the lizard people slash Jews slash 5G slash pedophiles. Let's go. You know, it's, it's everything. It's everything. So, And I wanted to ask you, I wanted to pivot because, you know, you talked about drawing the line in the sand and picking sides. And I feel like so much of what has stalled any kind of justice thus far and like we're still picking our, you know, jaws off the floor is the fact that the party with which you are supposed to be negotiating the future and the present of the country is embedded in that insurrection was part of it. And so how can you move forward? How can you do anything until you address that? And yet what we can't not continue to live or run the government, right? It's, you know, still have to, these are Congress people have to go in to work day in and day out, oftentimes next to someone who wanted them dead or who wouldn't mind if a mob had them killed, you know? And so, you know, you have a president right now who's Biden. And last time you were on in April, Biden was making good moves. This was this <laughs> moment of like, I think you even said, like, he seems to be ahead of the movements. Mm-hmm. And now it feels like he is very far behind. So I guess I want to check in, like temp check on <laughs> Mr. Joe Biden, according to Alicia Garza. Yeah. What are we doing here? Mm, not a whole bunch of much. Um, <laughs> we did start off the year. Um, really Hold up. Well. I tweeted some things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we started off the year really well in the sense that the Biden administration came in and they went gung ho on COVID relief and recovery, which was right. the right thing to do. Unfortunately, they also did not plug the hole in the dam, which was the Republicans and white supremacists. And as a result of that, they allowed this extremist movement to get back on its feet and to operate. Um, And I think one of the things that is really unfortunate um, is that because of that, because they did not take this movement seriously, because they did not take the salience um, of this movement seriously, um, what they went back to was the same old shit. Right. They went back to the same game plan, the same plays. And I'll give you an example. You know, um, uh, Democrats talk a lot right, about how um, we only have these slim majorities. And so, you know, the best that we can do is negotiate and compromise. That is absolutely fucking ridiculous. It is not true. Black voters led a multiracial coalition to hand over the keys. Right. We were like, hey, check this out. We want change. We're going to give you the majorities that you need in order to do that. And basically just run the ball down the field for this first fucking year. Give us voting rights. Let us get police reform. Let's get COVID-19 relief and recovery. Let's even get some climate shit up in there. And if you can do that, we are going to hand you the midterms on a silver platter. What Democrats did was went back to the same old, same old. There seems to be some confusion that this Republican Party, which is now an extremist party, 
is maybe somehow any way resemblant of um, the Republican Party of the 1990s. And I can't believe that I could say to you right now, <laughs> I would take George fucking Bush 17 times over <laughs> compared to what we're dealing with right now. HW. I'm going to say HW. <laughs> what the Democrats failed to do, right, was to wield that power that they were given. And unfortunately, what it's going to mean for 2022 is that we're going to lose majorities. Um, we are absolutely going to lose majorities. And um, if we're not careful, right, um, it will be not six years down the drain, right? And that's in a kind of like a normal push and pull type of cycle. Um, we're going to be in for some big changes that are actually going to be 20-year, 30-year changes, mostly because mm -hmm. of the um, almost complete erosion of democracy in this country, What was what the tatters of what wasn't great before. Um, without that, without people having um, access to the ballot um, and unnecessary restrictions on um, being represented and representing what you want, um, it, it's going to be not even an uphill battle. I think we're going to see a complete political change um, that we haven't seen in this country um, in my lifetime. So it's something for us to really pay attention to. I will also say, you know, I, and I talked about this on my podcast last week, that, um, you know, from a movement perspective, I think we have to think differently about how we engage the Democratic Party. Mm. Um, I don't think we're in a position where we can throw out the baby with the bathwater. And, you know, speaking of accelerationists, I think there's a lot of people out there that are like, see, Biden didn't do shit for us. The Democrats don't do shit for us. And I'm like, look, we can keep having this age old argument about have they done enough? Will they do enough? But power concedes nothing without a demand. Right. And I don't think that we've actually made demands on the Democratic Party. I think we have done some interesting inroads of trying to take it over from the inside. But if I'm being honest with you, from my perspective, that hasn't actually been led by um, um, communities that have a lot to lose. And so we're actually mm -hmm. replicating some of the same dynamics, right, of kind of leaving out the people that really need to be up in there, controlling the money, right, determining who the candidates are. And there's no consequences for the Democratic Party or any of its kind of branches when they don't actually get in line and get in lockstep. I was saying on my podcast, you know, um, if we're, it's not about being in, a, in an old Buick, like an old Buick can be tight. But you have to be able to tell your passenger when they're fucking with your radio and messing with the mechanisms, you got to be able to pull over and say, get the fuck out. This is my car, my rules, right? <laughs> Don't play my stations. Don't play with the mechanisms. Just sit here until we get to our destination. And I think our movement has to really think about how do we do that in 2022? How do we do that with the midterms? Are there going to be consequences for Democrats that isn't just about um, staying home? But will there be consequences for the Democratic Party if they don't put forward the agenda and act on it in the way that we um, sent the mandate for in November and then again in January? Yeah, the, I mean, the hard we, thing is, is 
I was just going to say really quickly, like, you know, Nancy Pelosi is worth $46 million with her and her husband's wealth. So, like, the consequences of a fascist taking over is never going to fall on the backs of people who have nothing to lose, who have all, you know, or, you know, they're totally fine. They will be fine. Um, They're not in precarious situations. Then you got John Ossoff introducing this legislation being like, no, Congress people and senators cannot trade in stocks. And I feel like it's his little trying to shoot his shot. Because he knows, you know, senator from Georgia elected, as you're saying, on this with this popular movement, grassroots movement um, to do something hasn't been able to. And so at least there's a little bit of like, nah, the future of the Democratic Party is not you, Pelosi. It's us. Um, anyway, NATO, sorry, I cut you off. Uh, I mean, I was going to I'd like to hear more about your vision of 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 what like people talk a lot about, like you know, we need to elect them and then we need to hold them accountable and not concretely about what that looks like other than some angry tweeting and dunking, um, which look, you know, cathartic, but uh, like, you know, it seems like what is, I mean, what's so hard for me to process about this moment is that in many ways, like social movements are as strong as they've ever been in our lifetime, but not strong enough. Um, And like, you know, that, that the, the, that there's like the you know congressional progressive caucus and you know people like Ilhan Omar and the, you know at like that the you know I'm old enough to remember when the standard bearer of the progressives in uh, Congress was Dennis Kucinich like and sure. you know <laughs> like we've made progress um, yeah. yes we have so um, you know it's like the but it's not enough and so you know it seems like very concretely like like consequences means um, being willing to challenge incumbents in primaries, which Mm -hmm. is good and should happen more of. But then it raises the other problem that you were talking about earlier, Alicia, about Mm -hmm. like, if we win those elections, are we ready to govern? And if we have people who take those seats who like aren't ready to have to vote on 5,000 bills and amendments and know how the committees work, you know, and like all the parliamentary procedures, they're just going to get rolled in there. And we've seen it happen before. Well, absolutely. So I think there's a few things that need to happen movement wise. Um, One, I think um, we could do a lot more brushing up on our civics 101. I'm really surprised most of the time at how little lots of us know about how government works. (laughs) And so part of like, and I've been included in that, right? Like sometimes (laughs) I have to look shit up, like what is the fucking filibuster? And like, how does that work? And right. We can't be afraid or ashamed to um, go back to that, right? I mean, public education in this country is such that, like, people aren't deeply steeped in that. You take a class once in high school and then that's it, right? Um, But being a, a, a participating member of this country means we actually have to know how it's run. Um, And if we hope to make change, it's not about knowing how it's run so we can play the game. It's actually just about knowing procedure and knowing what your chess moves can and can't be. And it helps sharpen your demands, right? Um, Second thing I think is really important is that um, the day after elections happen, right? Or the day after people are sworn in is exactly the day where you have to be sitting with them, having a conversation about your agenda and what you want to see happen. I think we have to stop supporting people because of popularity. Um, you know, we we have this phenomenon in politics where we try to Bernieize everybody and make them kind of a pop culture icon. Silver bullet. Helps, 
Yeah, that's all great and fine. Like it's good to popularize um, progressive candidates, but we still have to know what they actually stand for and what they don't. You know, I just saw a very controversial article um, uh, recently asking about whether or not, you know, Stacey Abrams was a moderate or um, a progressive. And I was like, you know, I think people need to have this conversation. (laughs) I Mm. think lots of people just know her for um, her stances on voting rights. But we don't get into those nitty gritties about where people stand on our issues, especially because we get stuck in this. I want the first black. I want the first woman. I want the first blah, blah, blah. I always tell people I don't support anybody black if they don't have a progressive agenda. (laughs) I just don't. And I can love the fact that you're the first black person to do a thing. And I can also not support or endorse what you're doing as the first black person in that thing. And we have to be able to walk that line. And then the third thing I think is really important, Nato and Francesca, is I think that we've got to be very, 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 very clear about um, carrots and sticks. Now, um, I will say that, you know, just recently, you know, people have been talking a lot about San Francisco politics, right? And what's happening in the Tenderloin and Mayor Breed and kind of going the fuck off about police um, intervention. Everyone, welcome to the next seven hours of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much to talk about in there, but um, this is where I'm going to say it's so important to put alternatives on the table. Mm. I think we forget that legislators, most of them, um, they take, they're, they're not experts in policy. Um, They take their lead from their staffers (laughs) and you never know who their staffers are or where they stand on things. And literally, like, I think there's a lot that's possible here that, um, you know, requires us to not just throw rocks at the castle, but also requires us to put some proposals on the table. Yeah. I'll just say lastly in this, wrap it up. um, You know, I I don't want to do that thing where it's like, well, if you if you don't have a solution, you have no right to speak. But I do think it's what it's what um, challenges us, right, to really sharpen our practice around how we hold people accountable. What are we holding them accountable around? <laughs> right? Yeah. What are we hold, like? Whether or not they're likable, that doesn't fucking matter. Like, are they moving the right policy? Are they moving money? Do we show up in their budget, right? Those are the the, the litmus tests that we should be using. Um, yes. And outside That's- of that, I think we're going to have a really hard time. I just have a final question because, you know, it, since we last spoke, the Build Back Better Act has been I have a final you know, question too. floated <laughs> and tanked. No, NATO, we got to move on. We I'll really do. I got to I got to edit this motherfucker when we're done. Um, <laughs> no, that, you know, inside the Build Back Better Act was money for home care workers. Yeah. Uh, and, and I believe that still stood um, as of whenever the hell, you know, Joe Manchin last, you know, touched it with his whatever his bumped it with his yacht. But like, you know, so this, that's a perfect example of, of an organization that I know you've been involved with, which is Domestic Workers United and Alliance that like has had a certain seat at the table to push that issue. People need home care um, there needs to be money for for home care workers. There needs to be investment in long term elderly care. All those kinds of things, and yet, 
Biden can just kind of ignore that. Like, oh, yeah, that was nice. It was really nice to have domestic workers give a seat at the table. It made me look real good. I don't have to deliver for them. Mm-hmm. You know, like, how does that sit with you? Or are you like, I'm not giving up hope on BBB yet? Where's Where are you at? Um, I'm not giving up hope on it. I think we know what needs to be done to move it forward. And we're just not doing it. And that mm-hmm. is very much in Biden's um, control. Um, look, I'll be honest with you. Uh, you know, when people want to get a thing done, even if you're not a voting member, um, you can make it real easy or real hard for somebody's career, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can make it real comfortable or real uncomfortable. And I don't see Biden really turning those screws, right? I see him as um, really trying to figure out how does he get to be the man who says, I I brokered an incredible deal. There's no brokering with these people. And I'm not just talking about the, the Republicans. I'm talking about all of the obstructionists, which includes Kristen Cinema. It includes Joe Manchin. They fucking represent nobody in relationship to like all the other people who represent the majority of the country who want this thing. Even in their own districts, people want this thing. So why have we allowed um, Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin um, to break ranks with the party that's in power? And what consequences are they experiencing from doing that? And Biden has the ability to actually levy consequences. Um, And if he were to pull in his VP for support in that, um, we'd be having a whole set of different (laughs) conversations. Apparently they're not allowed near each other. Manchin and, and Harris are like, you know, Apparently, like, man, yeah. if, if if the vice president looks at him weird, he gets upset and goes goes home. I'm like sick her ass on him. <laughs> and I feel like Biden should finish it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. Totally. Like Mortal Kombat style, right? Like, if you cross Nancy Pelosi, do you think um, that you can move the way you want to move? No. She's no. like, let me tell you something. I run shit up in here. And you are going to understand how much I run shit. That's what's happening behind the scenes. And I think the same thing needs to happen with the Senate. And I think the president and the vice president need to be involved. Yeah. Her, her office is still mad at me for a prank that I did five years ago. Listen, I believe it. I delivered a six foot styrofoam spine to her office right after Trump was elected. This is Pelosi. With, with, to Pelosi. And a bunch of people were, were mad. Uh, a bunch of people were with me. Like it was, well, I wasn't by myself, but. Uh, Listen, they have long memories, except when it comes to actually getting stuff done for people. So there's that on that. I got to call it on this interview discussion in the sitch. We got to move on. Um, Alicia, will you stay for just one more segment very quick? I mean, it'll, you know, thank you so much. Just a a couple comments I wanted to read out from the awesome people in the chat right now. Fat guy named Tiny on Twitch says, the first anniversary of January 6th is paper, uh, arrest warrants specifically. So Come true. I heard that. <laughs> uh, uh, Saria Mao says, poor people in red states have been manipulated for generations by the right and the left just stood by and let it happen. Yeah. Losing any kind of working class roots. And Lava Q says the dystopian states of amnesia. Mm-hmm. Mm, I don't know. That, uh, yeah, I feel like it should be the United States of Amnesia or the dystopian states of America. We'll workshop it uh, either way. <laughs> but you guys, we've got a new segment. This is really fun. I am excited about this one. Um, we've got an award show here on the Bituation Room I'm introducing now. 
We're calling it the cringies. Um, who deserves a cringy for the week? All right, for this week, the cringies. The nominees are mm-hmm. <clears throat> Ted Cruz for his whiplash reversal of uh, whether or not the people who stormed the Capitol on the 6th were terrorists. Um, After getting called out by Tucker Carlson, he completely backtracked on it. Take a look. Solemn anniversary this week. uh, And it is an anniversary of a violent terrorist attack on the Capitol where we saw the men and women of law enforcement demonstrate incredible courage, incredible bravery. Three days later. You called this a terror attack when by no definition was it a terror attack. That's a lie. You told that lie on purpose, and I'm wondering why you did. Well, Tucker, thank you for having me on. When you aired your episode last night, I I sent you a text shortly thereafter and said, listen, I'd like to go on because the way I phrased things yesterday, it it was sloppy and and it was frankly dumb. I don't buy that. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't buy that. Look, I've known you a long time since before you went to the Senate. You were a Supreme Court contender. You take words as seriously as any man who's ever served in the Senate. And every word you repeated that phrase, I do not believe that you use that accidentally. I just don't. <laughs> oh. Okay, that's nominee number one. Nominee number two for making themselves a total clown this week is uh, our girl Nancy Pelosi. We just spoke about for um, introducing a sort of um, uh, in, like a memorial or in memory of January 6th by using the cast of Hamilton singing. Dear Theodosia, I'll just play a little bit of this. As a conversation, we're privileged to have a contribution from one of the great creative talents of our time, Lin-Manuel Miranda. May his beautiful words be an inspiration to us. Among the words he said and in the music, we'll make it right for you. If we lay a strong enough foundation, we'll pass it on to you and we'll give the world to you. Lin-Manuel and his father and the, the uh, Hamilton singers whom we'll hear from said that they were all very honored to be asked to participate today. I call your attention to the Hamilton singers. Da-da-da. Love that strong enough foundation. How's that working out? <laughs> there was, yeah, they, they stormed the scaffolding around the strong foundation. Oh, God. It just papered over with Hamilton. It'll all be better. All right. That is cringy nominee number two. Cringy nominee number three. Candace Owens uh, was called out by a follower for not being vaccinated because she was inside of a UFC fight. And she had a very long and drawn out explanation why she is still unvaccinated. But, yeah, was inside that UFC Madison Square Garden where you have to be vaccinated in order to get in. (laughs) Next question. Are you really unvaccinated? Really? And then there is a shared tweet uh, that says Candace Owens is lying to her followers about being vaccinated. And it shows me um, at the UFC. 
And it's, I guess, planning for your event. Oh, the Madison Square Garden website, which says that you've had at least one dose of the COVID-19 vaccine prior to attending. I would, um, I would say to the people, first and foremost, I am obviously unvaccinated. You follow the story of me trying to get a COVID test in Aspen. And I only had to get a COVID test to show that it was negative because I was unvaccinated. So I didn't go through those jumps and hoops pretending to be vaccinated. I am not getting this vaccine ever. Regarding the UFC event, I would, um, I would, instruct you to not to visit the Madison Square Garden website, but to visit uh, the New York uh, City Law website. You better understand that every time uh, the elites make laws for you, there is a way that they can get around the laws that they're making for you. Um, and there are carve-outs in New York City of when you do not need to present a vaccine card. Unfortunately, I fall under one of those carve-outs. Because I am an elite <laughs> and I found my way around it. And you better realize that I am making money off of you, idiot. Um, oh my God. So that is cringy nominee number three. <laughs> Who are you giving this week's cringy to? NATO, you want to start? Yeah, I got it. I got to say Nancy Pelosi for, for three reasons. <laughs> number one. She clearly forgot Lynn manuel Miranda's last name uh, <laughs> while she was reading it. Number two, she brought up his father for no reason at all. Uh, and and number three, she picked they picked the wrong song from Hamilton. If you were going to drag it into Hamilton for this, I feel like on first series six, I feel like the right song should have been "Your Obedient Servant." Uh, mm. which is just like the, it's, you know, where they just, they, they, it's like three minutes of them insulting each other. Uh, and then they, and then they're going to, then they have to murder each other. I yeah, think that sets with the a right little, tone. Yeah. Something some, with some, any some combativeness. Fi- some, some fire in the belly. Uh, I think this is that, that would have been the right song uh, for the <laughs> moment. That's, that's why I pick, uh, I pick Pelosi. Uh, you know, Ted Cruz, I would say like, it's not, I mean, it's, it's, you know, oh, Ted Cruz is, uh, you know, being a spineless, craven, like opportunist. Mm-hmm. A day that ends w- ends in Y. Um, you know, <laughs> the only surprise in that is that Tucker Carlson thinks that he's important enough that they're on a texting basis. Uh, that was a shock in that story. Yes. Oh, 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 and then he he ran to him. That he like. Comp- oh my god. Um. Alicia, who who gets your cringy? Nancy has one. I'm giving my cringy to Nancy too. And I think the only thing that could have made it more cringy is if she was wearing that kente cloth that she kneeled with last year. <laughs> she you know she wanted is it shall I bring it? No, Nancy, leave it behind. <laughs> but it's beautiful. Well oh, <laughs> it might not be our maze, but <laughs> You know she's she's nothing but like yeah. Anyway, oh god, she of course she forgot his name. Lynn Manuel looks down. Miranda. Um, okay, so I guess Nancy gets the cringy. I was I was gonna give it to Candace Owens for no other fact than than because she revealed that she was an elite and she was sort of like trying to convince the audience that like you know. Oh, oh, because get, believe you me, we elites, she just left out the we. She was like, elites find a way around vaccine mandates because like we can go wherever we want, private planes, whatever. And 
so just mm, so much cringe so terrible so revealing and and ted cruz loves to be humiliated so like that dude doesn't get my vote he doesn't get the award he wanted that he like that's his kink he got he's like has a little half chub under there uh, as he's talking to tucker i'm sorry <sighs> that was disgusting um alicia garza <laughs> where ted, can ted everybody cruz find ted your cruz work? Is, a, is a piss bottom is what you're saying oh yeah for sure I don't even, I, I like, don't even want you to describe what that is. <laughs> um, thank you so much for having me. It was awesome to be here with y'all. Um, if you want to catch me on the socials, you can find me on Instagram at Chasing Garza, or you can find me on Twitter, but not really at Alicia Garza. And I'm on Meta too. And you'll just have to find me in the metaverse. <laughs> Woo! And everybody, I have please. a special helmet for it. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> oh lord i gotta see this um that's where they're gonna talk san francisco politics later on in the metaverse in the metaverse um thank you alicia everybody <laughs> check out her book also the purpose of power um and take very good care we'll see you soon peace out nato green um nato and i are going to continue this conversation for another 15 minutes because we're going to talk about the two Republicans trying to save their party. That is Liz Cheney and her father, Dick Cheney, still alive after all these years. So become a patron to get access to that conversation right after this. We're going to look at a couple things they said and did this week. Uh, Patreon.com slash Bituation Room. You know what it is. Uh, NATO, how can people find you and your awesome work? Uh, Nato Green on Twitter, Mr. Nato Green on Instagram. Uh, my albums uh, are on Bandcamp, which is the best way to support the arts uh, and, you know, in the streets with the people. Hell yeah. Nato, take good care. See you on the other side in the bonus. And thank you guys for being here. Uh, and it is time for the ceremonial uh, song of thanks. And no, this will not be bottled and sold uh, neither as an NFT or in any sort of used yogurt container. This is the fart song. Thank you so much to all of the super chats, to all of the subscribers, to all of the people who've given to the show. I don't know what I'm saying right now. <laughs> to the new patrons at 10 bucks or more, which gets you the shout out. Gail R. You're amazing. Mars Supiel. I love it. I see what you did there. Um, to the big tippers. Ben J. Raylon S, Rio F, Robert G, thank you. To the new Twitch subs, Robo Blake, uh, D Cashmer, Harry Balsich, thank you for giving out those five community subs, Harry. Fargo is high, Pagan Communist just here for the drinks. Thank you for giving out those five community subs. Irie Man 42 gave out 11 subs. Oh my god, thank you! And thank you for resubscribing Daisy Dragon, Depressed Progressive, Willie Gus, and Late Bloomer 66, and Kathy McIntyre. You're so generous with your super chat. Uh, big ol' heart right back at you guys. Um, again, we are here every Sunday, 5 8 Eastern. The Bituation Room streams. And I gotta thank uh, our new producer, uh, Paige Omek, behind the scenes, figuring out all the bells and whistles, just crushing it. Um, and thank you to Maximilian Inhoff and, of course, Alexandra Ornes on the other side of all your amazing comments. Um, you guys, once again, stay tuned for details on the Brooklyn show. But for now, we'll see you in the bonus. And obviously, 
you know, fight the power, fuck the patriarchy, and don't just bitch about it. Be about it. Goodbye. <laughs>